0: The Bruce Hooley Show podcast is brought to you by HemisphereCoffeeRoasters.com. Creating jobs and restoring dignity one cup at a time. Good coffee doing good. Learn more at HemisphereCoffeeRoasters.com. The final hour of the show today is the final hour of the show this calendar year. We have been talking about issues that dominated the news headlines in 2021 and what they will mean going forward in 2022, which will have the longest-term impact. Invite your input at 844-TALK-989, 844-TALK-989. Now I would like to get into academia. I think we are where we are because we've lost the long game to liberal thinking in our academic circles. I mean, it's hard to believe, but it's true. The Ivy League schools were founded as religious institutions. (laughs) They are now glorifying the religion of self. And that is true, not just at Ivy League schools, but across the country, except at the few authentic Christian schools that are out there. Not all schools that say they are authentically Christian are not. There are some within a stone's throw of this studio that say they are, but are not. Of course, the dominant school in this area is Ohio State. I am a graduate of Ohio State. Notice I didn't say I am a proud graduate of Ohio State because if I could go back to my high school years and change anything, it would be where I went to college. I got my degree, I got good grades. I use my degree, I'm happy with my professional life and the course it has taken, but I look at my educational experience and I contrast it to my wife's, who went to a Christian school where she was surrounded by people whose idea of fun, whose values were aligned with hers, and it's indisputable the difference that has made in her life enriching it and the empty hole in my life, I don't feel it, I don't mourn it, I don't you know, think that it scarred me or anything like that, but when we got married, all six of her bridesmaids were people she went to college with, people who strengthened her, encouraged her, comforted her. I don't know a single person today that I went to college with, other than my high school buddy, who transferred into OSU the year after I first started going there. It was an impersonal experience. And I know people who go and get a lot more out of it than I did. Some of that, maybe a lot of it, is on me. But I look at what Ohio State was in the 80s and what Ohio State is now. And I don't know how you turn the rudder on that barge around and make Ohio State closer to what it would tell you it is, which is a place for the exchange of free ideas and free thought. It's not any different than any state school anywhere. It has surrendered a long time ago to a crazed ideology. I find it interesting that today, of all days, as I'm trying to reflect back on these major issues of 2021 and what they'll mean in 2022, that I come across a story written... In National Review, by a young man by the name of Alec Kundla. And Alec is a student at Ohio State. So good on you, Alex, Alec, rather, getting a story published in National Review. And it is about the tweet that was issued by Mark Perry of the American Enterprise Institute last week, noting that Ohio State spends. $13.5 million a year to finance 132 faculty members whose job it is to perpetuate diversity, equity, and inclusion. Alec calls them diversocrats. Now, there's a certain amount of this that has to happen, right? We want handicapped people to have things to have allowances made for their physical limitations so they can get an education. We have no objection to that. In fact, we should be all about that. So a very small percentage of that $13.4 million, less than $4 million, less than 25%, less than, actually about 30%, goes to do things like that. Service handicapped people, uphold Title IX, But the lion's share of it, just a little under $10 million, goes to a portion of these diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts under the Office of Diversity and Inclusion, or ODI. And what does Alec Kundla, who's at Ohio State, have to say about this? Well, he basically says that this is a well-funded effort to ingrain left-wing ideas and exclude conservative ideas, which is to say dissenting ideas, from the Ohio State campus. I'll read from his story. According to its website, the Office of Diversity and Inclusion supports, quote, the recruitment, retention, and success of students, faculty, and staff who enhance diversity at Ohio State. The description conspicuously lacks a definition of diversity. You're going to spend $10 million on it. I think maybe you ought to tell people what it is. But they don't tell people what it is. But you know what it is. And Alec Kundla tells you what it is. He writes, in practice, this manifests as a pursuit, racial diversity. Through some legitimate research and through some affirmative action programs and other race-targeted measures. But there's no reason for racial diversity, he writes, to be the university's sole or overriding imperative. No, there is not. No, there is not. Why are we advantaging people on the basis of race? That is, by definition, discriminatory. If we were to advantage people on the basis of race at the expense of racial minorities, that would be racist. And we would oppose that. So it is perfectly consistent to oppose racist ideas when they advantage people of a certain race. Because it's not the advantaging or the disadvantaging that determines whether they are racist practices. It is the engagement in an effort to do one or the other, or both. But you can't do both at the same time because, of course, when you are taking from one, you are doing it to give to another. I will read more from uh, Mr. Kundla's piece in the National Review. He talks about Black Lives Matter murals in the library. Excuse me, Black Lives Matter murals? Black Lives Matter is a political organization. It is a divisive political organization, and it is an organization that does not traffic always in truth. For instance, he points out, one of the murals reads, hands up, don't shoot, a phrase that originated with the 2014 killing of Michael Brown, who some activists claimed had his hands up when he was shot, but that was a lie. The claim was found to be inconsistent with the evidence, and who found that to be a lie? None other than Eric Holder of the Obama Department of Justice. Mr. Kuhnla concludes, and he's dead on with this conclusion, at a university, new and controversial ideas ought to be presented and discussed. Inviting public intellectuals to lecture on these topics is in line with the mission of a university. However, the new and controversial ideas also ought to be scrutinized and debated. Yet there seems to be little of either in the Office of Diversity and Inclusion's Diversity Lecture Series, which features no speakers defending American society as it stands, no speakers arguing against race based tribal politics, and no speakers challenging the theory of systemic racism. The Diversity Lecture Series features a lineup that seriously lacks ideological diversity because, of course, Ohio State is not interested in ideological diversity. It is interested solely in ingraining liberal ideology, which is to say the lie, the systemic racism still exists and is still practiced in the United States and in the educational system. This is Ohio taxpayer money being used at Ohio State to the tune of $10 million a year. To continue to twist the minds of young people who will grow into city council presidents in Columbus, Ohio. Governors, maybe presidents. And we are funding it. And the question is, why and what are we going to do about it? It's always a good day, in my opinion, when Ben Dominich gets to talk to America, either in his column at The Federalist or via the platform afforded him sometimes on Fox News primetime. Ben Dominich recapping 2020 two nights ago
1: on Fox. The images of 2021 that will stick in our minds are many. The footage of brutal criminality in American cities. Taking place in broad daylight. Our fellow citizens arrested not because they stole or ransacked, but because they tried to buy a burger without showing their papers. The image of Afghans dropping through the sky as they clung desperately to American planes. Of mounted border patrol accused by this pathetic White House of racism and whipping, all for the crime of simply attempting to do their job. And parents hauled away in handcuffs for having the audacity to demand that school board members do their jobs and protect our children from abusive ideologies. And then there was the contrast between a scene of chaos at the Capitol as American citizens expressed their fury. These Americans, even the ones who never went into the Capitol, were branded terrorists, and Congress set up an unconstitutional committee to punish all Republicans as such. Meanwhile, actual terrorist attacks in places like Waukesha, Wisconsin, disappeared from the headlines because they were inconvenient to the narrative.
0: I think he does a great job of summarizing 2020. And, of course, those messages are brought to us by a very dishonest media, Uh, a media that clearly has an agenda and is really not even good at disguising what its agenda is now. It's demonize anyone who believes in the divine founding of the United States, American exceptionalism, the values that made our country great, meritocracy, hard work. All this got away from us, because a lot of people ask, how did this happen? How did this happen? How did people come to hate our country? Why do they hate our country? I mean, 20 years ago, we were pretty united after we were attacked by Islamic extremists on 9-11. We were pretty united. If a similar event happened today, do you think we could be united? Do you think even for a day, there wouldn't be a roundtable media discussion on a cable or network newscast about how we either deserve this or brought it on ourselves? I doubt that. And I don't think it would be all in the name of putting together content that's an outlier to capture ratings via the outrage of something being so beyond the pale that we would watch it like we watch an accident alongside the road. No, I think it would be a genuinely held opinion. Because when you hear the commentators on MSNBC and NBC and the other major networks, it is very clear that they have a vision of America's past And a view of America's present that is so completely different than what conservatives hold. I think there's a misconception out there that conservatives believe that America is a perfect country. And I don't think genuine conservatives believe that at all. What we do believe is that America is a country that aspires to a level of equality, a level of opportunity, and a level of prosperity that should be available to everyone, but that the availability of those opportunities and the mechanisms by which you reach them are largely a factor falling upon the responsibility of the individual, that nothing is guaranteed to you, and that if you don't achieve it, the first place you should look to figure out the answer why is the is the mirror. What have you done? Have you done all that you can do? Is there anything else you could have done? But that's not how people on the left think. They believe that if something goes wrong in their life or any life, that it has to be someone's fault, and that the last place they would look for responsibility is in the mirror. Because, of course, their entire view of their eternal future is built around one overriding belief. It's a delusional belief, but it is their belief nonetheless. And that belief is, I'm a good person. Well, if you believe inherently that you are a good person, and that doesn't just mean you're good in the way you relate to others, it means that you are good in terms of your talent, your ability, your work ethic. Then, if you are good across the board, then anything that does not turn out the way you want it to turn out can't be your fault. You're good. It has to be the fault of someone else. And so I understand the divide. I just believe that the fix is one that is not really a matter of policy. Because if The true responsibility for a person's failure to achieve, to get where they want to go, lies, as I said, looking back at them from the mirror. Then the fix has to be something that is generated from within, not something that is legislated from without. And we have roughly half our country believing that the fix is something someone else can do for you. Something someone else can take from someone and give to you. So, I don't know that there is a bridge between those two viewpoints, between those two ideologies. Do we have to find a way to coexist? Yes, we do have to find a way to coexist. And for a long time, we did coexist because we had a respect for the other side because they would at least take the time to listen to a viewpoint and be open to changing. But I don't think we are at a point now where anyone wants to listen to anyone else. Because we come at the cure for this from such totally divergent opinions. Conservatives believe that your rights come from God. Liberals believe your rights come from the government and that the government is God. And A conservative, particularly this conservative, is never going to waver on where the sovereign authority ultimately rests in this world. And it's not with me.